ideally for me, we have five guys that score two goals rather than one guy that scores eight. Let's share the ball. Let's all do our jobs and let's make sure we're difficult to, to scout and difficult to cover. That was St. Michael's College head coach Alex Smith. He's this week's guest on the Chasing the Goal podcast. Welcome to New England Lacrosse Journal's Chasing the Goal podcast, your destination for all things lacrosse. I'm your host, Kyle Devin, alongside me, Mr. Jack Piatelli, as always. How are we doing? Doing really well today, other than all this rain, a little wet coming into the studio, but uh, I'll get through it. How about yourself? Yeah, I rode in on a flat tire, so that'll be fun to deal with after the show, but we're here. And we're ready to go. And we're ready to go. Let's go. We have St. Michael's College head coach, Alex Smith. How's it going, man? Go well, fellas. How are you guys doing? I think you finally surpassed the other Alex Smith as the most famous Alex Smith in lacrosse now. Oh, good. Well, it took a long time. It took a long time. We actually we had this like meeting of the of the Alex Smiths at a in a at a Boston Cannons game one time, and it was pretty funny. But yeah, I'm I'm glad to I'm glad to finally get some some Alex Smith props over him. Do you ever get mistaken for the quarterback coach? I can't tell you how many times when I'm like renting something or giving my name to someone, they're like, "Oh, how, how are they doing?" How's your leg doing? So yes, coach, I've, I've heard the joke. <laughs> it's been made. Yeah. That's what it's, we're all about. The easy, the easy hits. That's right. Low play the, fruit. Yeah. Everybody just play the hits and, and, and shut up. So coach, I noticed you're one of the only schools that has their 23 schedule up on the website. And it looks as usual with most any 10 schools, wildly competitive. How did it, how was the process of putting that together for the 23 season? Yeah, I, I think for you could ask a lot of coaches in our conference. The out of conference stuff is, is challenging, especially being where we're located up in up in in Burlington. And so, getting those out of out of conference games is probably our biggest challenge. We know we're going to have ten really really solid in conference games every single every single season. So that piece is done pretty well. I'm not sure if Whip Online is, is fully fleshed out, but we have Leishin and, and Post. We're taking a big trip out to Lake Erie for spring break, so we're, we're paying them back for a trip that they made last year. Bridgewater and start up down in Connecticut that's coming up to the playoffs as well. So we've got a, we've got a nice schedule. We feel like it's going to do what it needs to do to prepare for the any 10 conference because that's a, that's a knee grinder for the last six weeks of the season, and, and you need to be playing your best at that time of the year to, to be competitive. Coach, I can't believe it. It's already been six years since you've been hired at St. Michael's. Where does the time go? I remember we met when you first got hired. You've done a great job building this program up because when you took it over, the program was struggling a little bit. My question to you was, how did you take this program over in the last six years, get it to where it is, and what were the necessary steps you took to get it the players in and to be competitive in this very grueling league. When I first took over the job, October of 2017, we had 31 guys on the roster and, and 10 of those guys were seniors and we had zero recruits lined up for that following spring. So my, my biggest job over the, those first four months was to get as many guys as I possibly could interested in St. Mike's up taking visits, try to go to as many recruiting events as I could and just see as many kids as I could so that I could I could sell the program and, and get as many people as I as I could on the roster. I think we had 18 guys in that first recruiting class. And so not only was that first team kind of struggling on the field, but they, they were struggling off the field as well. I felt like the culture of that group was not in a very good place. So we, we made a really concerted effort to to 
to turn that around as our as our first priority. And I didn't watch a single second of film pretty much going like pretty much that whole year other than our own film because I just wanted to to really be focused on what was happening inside inside our locker room, inside our building. So that was kind of step number one. And and those kids who we recruited that first that first fall they just graduated this past year. And so now this this program that this program now we have forty five guys, all of which have been like truly recruited by by me and or my staff. And and we're we, we feel like we've flipped this culture around from being more like a bunch of guys that go to St. Mike's and they play some lacrosse. And now these guys are here to play lacrosse and they know what the challenges are. They know they know what the the conference is all about. They know what the the commitment is to play D two level lacrosse. And it's it's been a really fun journey as we get better over the course of these five years the piece that i wasn't necessarily prepared for is watching the other teams also get better watching what coach shimano's done at st a's and assumptions really formidable and bentley's such a, a great program all the time franklin pierce getting better aic's getting better all these teams are getting better and we haven't even started talking about lemoyne and adelphi and pace yet so it's definitely a it, it's it's definitely a challenge, and I think, but in in a lot of ways, we had to fix that culture first. And once we got that piece figured out, now we feel pretty good about our chances going into the spring. Coach, not you and I talked about the on the phone call before while we before we set up this podcast, but that was actually the culture. I went to St. Mike's as a freshman and part of my sophomore year, and that kind of was the culture where it was just guys that played on the team and the team was very loose. And obviously that was a coach that's long gone. There have been several coaches since him and you being the the most recent, obviously. But I think that's, St. Mike's has such a incredible grouping of facilities and all the things that have changed there. I mean, I remember going up there for basketball tournaments because it's such a huge indoor facility. You can play like three or four games at the same time. There's a great weight room. Can you talk a little bit more about how you built that culture and what were some of the first steps you took to change the attitude of the players that were there? Yeah, I, it, it was interesting because coming from where I, I came from, when I coached at Colorado State and I played at Colorado State for a long time and culture was just ingrained there. Like we didn't even talk about it because it was just an expectation of we we went here at CSU and, and we do what it takes to win. And there was no Kara hours, right? There was no one telling us to get into the gym. Like we were just all about that as a group. So for me, that was a little bit foreign. Like, don't you want to do everything you can to be as good as you could possibly be? Like that was, that was kind of the first question. And, and I think what it what it really what it really comes down to is is guys have to feel some success so that they get some some trust and and we we've had like these little glimmers of success that even in those kind of darker years when I first started we're still doing some pretty good things so we we go on the road and, and beat a Chestnut Hill team my first year we play Lemoyne to a two goal game like there's all these like little glimmers that now the guys can see okay this this hard work that we're doing is paying off but one of the biggest things I had to come in and bring was just a little bit of accountability right so the the accountability around like, hey, this is how we do things. This is what the expectation is for playing lacrosse here. And you're going to be held accountable to those standards. At the same time, those standards aren't going to be unreasonable, right? They're, they're not, it's, it's, I'm not trying to make this the least fun part of your day. I'm trying to make this the best part of your day. And now guys, I, I feel like I've really bought into that. And what I see, like, yes, yeah, it's kind of a grumpy day as, as happens when you're a, when you're a father and a coach sometimes, just kind of grumpy and, and we go into our, our 6 p.m. practice. And the guys are just flying around the field, having so much fun, like lifting me up. That's when you know, like, you've got something kind of special going on. And again, it stems from just that that will to want to work hard and will to to be the best that they can. Coach, you had a great career 
Colorado State, won a national championship as a player, and then won one as a coach, a number of them. I don't know how many. I know you were very successful at the MCLA level. And it's interesting you talk about the the culture at St. Michael's when you arrived as even so much different than the culture at Colorado State. And I talk to our players all the time. I've had a player go out to Notre Dame and play club and then URI and then Northeastern. But there are a lot of great opportunities to get a super education like at a Notre Dame and play club lacrosse. And to your point, how organized and how committed they are to offering the great sport of lacrosse to these student athletes. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting. Then I was like kind of competing against schools like St. Mike's. Like, why would you want to go back east to some little school out there? With some <laughs> awesome football school here in Fort Collins. So it, it, the MCLA was great. And I, I was really fortunate to, to kind of get there at the right time. When I got to CSU, Flip Nodler, who's my head coach, he was just a year or two in at that point. And, and the league had literally just formed on a national level. And so it's kind of this perfect confluence of like, okay, well, we've got, there was no recruiting for me coming out of high school in the late nineties. I, I was not part of that world whatsoever, growing up in suburban Colorado, suburban Denver. So I get to CSU and the MCLA, it's just, it's just beginning. So there's all this momentum and guys like Jason Lamb and, and, and John Fall, who was the head coach of Michigan for a long time, Sonny Peeper, all these hundreds of names I could name. They put this thing together that really allowed the game to spread West, right? Because they're the, the only Western options at that point were University of Denver and Air Force and Whittier and at Colorado College. Those were pretty much the only four Western outposts for lacrosse. So now all of a sudden you've got schools like UC Santa Barbara and you got Colorado State and Colorado and, and BYU and all these programs that are popping up. And, and it gave us this opportunity to keep playing the game that we love in, in an organized environment, right? And so, again, I, I got pretty lucky in terms of my timing because I got to CSU and then my class was so successful. We won three national championships as a player while I was there. And then I just stayed on and kept coaching and, and being a part of Flip's organization was certainly helpful for me. He just kept winning. And so, yeah, I, I was really fortunate to be a part of that. And I, I definitely wouldn't change my experience. Although I will say I probably would have done better academically at a school like St. Mike's than I did at CSU, but the lacrosse experience was, was pretty great. And yeah, got me where I am today. So, so no regrets on that side. Fort Collins, incredible town been there many times yeah. C- campus is incredible for colorado state as well i would be remiss if i didn't bring up that a lot of mcla mcla people hate me because of a tweet i made a couple years ago and i apologize for it and people are still mad at me and that's fine something about games that count about a d3 score someone like sent to me i was like i don't know who these teams are well you know funny kyle that's not the tweet that got me pissed at you back in the early <laughs> Oh, I know what that one is too, but go ahead. You can, we, let's do them both. Let's right, do it. Let's so I was, I was playing at the time. Well, not at the time. I get that. By that point, it was 2009 or something like that. And, and I don't even remember who you were talking about. And you were saying that this is the best midfield group that's ever been in an MLL game. And I just kind of fired back. Hey, what about Mike Law and Jeff Sonke and Jeff and, and Josh Sims for the outlaw? That's a pretty good group. And your response was something to the effect that like, they didn't even have long poles. And like, I was like, this guy is dead to me. Like, so I was, I've been adjacent Twitter enemies 
to you. And so we spoke on the phone about a month ago. So I'm glad to have buried that asset. It feels good to get that one off. Yeah, I'm glad you did it before the podcast started, too. <laughs> and it's a good thing we didn't have you in, in studio. How will you be brawling out here? Yeah. Well, no. Listen, I, I don't want to, like, go back to this, but I was I was right. <laughs> like the, the 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 my point was they didn't play with an LSM back then. Which listen, that midfield group is incredible. We just had Coach Siz on here, who's at at Elms College, and he played in college with Mundorf and Westervelt. So listen, the respect is there. It's just I I will also I didn't realize that Twitter was forever, <laughs> and now I do. So we take different kind of approaches to things. Well, Jack hated me too. Hard to believe too. I'm not always like the most level headed guy either. So. Yeah, I, I think we've traveled a similar path in our life there, and we can we can get back. Hey, I'm sending you recruits, so I, I'm I'm pumped, and I I hope I hope both of the players that I have coached do end up in purple and gold at least maybe this season, if not next season. Coach, let's let's talk a little bit more about St. Mike's as far as like where it is geographically, because I think people don't realize, or maybe they do, that it's. It's even more north of Burlington than Burlington. It's it's kind of the, the tippy top there of Vermont. I, I see you're getting a, a couple Canadians in, but I don't actually see any Vermont players on your roster. Is that, I know it's not because of talent, because I know there's talented players. Do you think it's just kids want to leave the state? That's usually my take on it. And it, it, to some degree, it's we're, we're a smaller liberal arts private college, right? And so I think a lot of the really good talent, I, I think one of the unfortunate pieces of, of lacrosse in Vermont in general is a lot of these kids feel like they have to leave the state and go play prep in order to get their looks to to possibly play college. So a lot of the really good a lot of the really good high school players they go down and, and play prep and they don't even play in Vermont anymore. So like I, I don't get the chance to see those kids or really interact with them that much. Eight oh two's done a great job in terms of on the club scene, but we, we're just a smaller we're, we're a smaller population than I think that I was really ready for when we got here. And so I think a lot of the kids, do, I, I don't play with a kid who lives in Essex where I live right now and 10 miles away from St. Mike's. So maybe he wants to go south or go west or go somewhere else. I totally get that. And so it's it's certainly not by design. We have we have one kid from Colchester who, who should be hitting the roster this coming spring. But in general, yeah, Vermont itself is, it's, it's a little bit of a harder place to recruit for us. So wherein I could go down to suburban Boston and, and mop up down there and, and do really well. We, we have a great name down there. And in the capital region, we've done really well. You mentioned a couple of the Canadian guys we have. But the other pieces, I think we can recruit. We can recruit naturally because we are in in Vermont. We are in Burlington. There's four like national, like awesome ski resorts within 45 minutes of the campus. Burlington is 10 minutes away. Yeah, is right there. So like, there's a lot to offer. It's a great education, and, and you play really high level across. So I'm kind of trying to take a page out of Coach Weiss' book over at UVM, and we don't have to be a regional team to be successful. We we can recruit nationally, and, and that's the goal. And now that COVID's finally behind us and we can get on the road a little bit more and we can start to to show what we have to offer up here, I think I think you're going to see more out-of-region guys getting on the roster in the years to come. Yeah, no no slight on the actual area where the school is. I loved it there. I, I've gone back and, and visited. I've gone to to do stories on UVM, talk to Coach Fives. I've come come and seen playoff games at, at UVM down the road. And it's, I, honestly, if it's not the dead of winter, it's one of the, and even then, it's a beautiful place. Like the whole area. I mean, the, you mentioned the skiing. The Smugs Pass alone was worth it. But I, I let me ask you, do you let your kids ski? 
So my my policy is that if you're coming to school in Vermont, that's got to be one of your top five reasons for coming to college, right? Like that 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 is almost universally a reason that St. Mike's is on your list in some form or another. So the rules are you can't miss practice, you can't miss class, and it's a really stupid way to miss six weeks because you stacked your collarbone. So keep both feet on the ground at all times, nothing inverted. We do have a guy on the team right now who's he's a very, very competitive free skier. He does stuff that I've never even dreamed about skiing, and, but he's also like world renowned for it. So there's some of these guys that I, I have a little less control over than others, but blow out of skiing. We're going to have a very tough conversation with your parents. And, uh, but at the same time, like it's, it's there, it's there for you. It's exciting. It's fun. So go enjoy those things while you have a chance. We weren't allowed to ski at Clark. Weren't allowed. And it's because one of my friends broke his wrist and he, it was full ban. For all for all my all my years there. I don't know if it's still there. I'm bet coach probably lets them ski now. Coach Cohen. Probably. What do you think? I'd say no. No. No, definitely not. And and actually if I was coaching you, I would let you ski. Yeah. Hoping you might get you hurt. You would hope that I'll get yeah. Yeah. That's great. So anyways. Coach, looking at your roster, you talked about cleaning up in Massachusetts. You've cleaned up pretty well in Massachusetts. So you got a gentleman from Utah and obviously we mentioned the Canadian player. What areas are you looking to recruit from? You think you might be able to get some some good players other than maybe the New England States and yeah, the New England States. Yeah. Yeah, I think we, we're finding some success in New Jersey right now. We have an assistant coach who's, who went to Don Bosco, so there's some, some good good recruiting connections there. So New Jersey works really well for us. Generally, upstate New York works well, too. Albany's only two hours away, so uh, we got it. four Niski kids on the roster right now from Niski Unit High School, and that's a, that's a great spot for us as well. A couple of Queensbury kids who are, who are only just across the lake there. Rochester, Syracuse area, like those are all kind of in the in the draggable distance zone within five hours. So those are spots that we think we can do well in as well. And then um, for some reason, I, I don't exactly know why, but Florida seems to be a place where, where kids want to come north sometimes. And, and we've got, we've had a couple of kids from Florida in my time here. And, and obviously lacrosse is booming down there. So, but I don't know. I, I feel like sometimes recruiting the same kids coach i feel like i may have seen your your two piatelli teams probably 15 times over the summer it felt like and it's good to get out and see some different kids and, and make sure we can um again not just be this homogenous patriot fan loving group <laughs> it's good to get kids from all over the place yeah well talking about assistant coaches one of coaches and i's good friends mari bose huge addition to your program is now going to be the gm and head coach of the PBLA's Chowderheads franchise. How how does that work? And uh, how is Coach? I know Coach Coach, coach Bose has a different style. He's very cerebral with how he coaches your guys. Can you talk about how that has impacted your program in the last three years? Yeah, I think he's he's a pretty special guy, as you guys know. He's 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 one of a kind, and we were really fortunate. His his wife was up here getting her getting her masters at UVM, and and Jeff Colkin, who's kind of the godfather of of uh, St. Michael's lacrosse up here, introduced me to, to Coach Marty, and we became friends right away. He's, he's definitely one of those guys who connects really well individually with with our players and with people in general. And so for 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 us, when he joined, the the biggest things that he was immediately bringing, it's like he's bringing, you know, I might have used to play pro, but he he's playing pro right now. And his athleticism and his ability to translate what he's doing as an athlete to the guys was was immediately felt. So a lot of this footwork stuff that we talk about, okay, push him down the side on defense. He's telling them exactly how to do it and, and not just 
not just how to do it, but the the nuances that are beyond anything that I'd ever coached. So that that piece of it, he brought to us right away. And then you you couple that with like the breathwork stuff he's doing with the guys, the visualization stuff he's doing with the guys, and, and the the holistic athlete kind of thing that he's bringing. Uh, he's a monster, man. He he's doing great. So obviously things changing for him. He's got those two babies at home now, and I catch him on Instagram. I catch him on Instagram, keeping his work going, but he's he's staying involved as much as he can, and and he's certainly an asset to what we're trying to do. Yeah, and he says you and I are both the same, which I thought was funny. Totally the same thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah so. That's 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 weird. I don't hear that a lot, <laughs> especially with I Jack. That's an indictment or a or a compliment. I think it's I think it's a diss to both of us on a different level, probably <laughs> that neither one of us understands. Let's talk a little bit about your philosophies for for coaching in terms of offense and defense. What do you like to run and what, how does that change given your personnel that comes in for recruits? Yeah, I, I, we, we try to be as, as share the ball as much as possible, move the ball quickly. We try to set a lot of motions and screens and make sure guys aren't standing around too much. This fall, we really put a, a heightened emphasis on just on what we, we, we say at St. Mike's, we say JPL, just play lacrosse, go out there and get through for each other when you need to get through or set picks when you need to set picks and, and try to try to recognize what your teammates' strengths are so that we can we can get those guys set up for that. I don't need our left-handed Canadian taking righty It's like just because the offense says that's what he's supposed to do. So for, for us on the offensive end, ideally for me, we have five guys that score two goals rather than one guy that scores eight. That's that's kind of the way I've always been brought up in the sport. Let's let's share the ball. Let's all let's all do our jobs and let's Let's make sure we're difficult to to scout and difficult to cover. On the defensive side, I, I definitely came from a much more disciplined defensive kind of background. Coach Nomberg, when I was in college, like that was right when the the Bill Tierney pre-sliding defense kind of hit the coaches' convention, and and it was like a game-changing thing to keep guys out of the middle and slide from the crease. It's like, oh my, this is what lacrosse looks like, and we've really evolved to a place as a sport now. But you look at what's happening at the D three level, especially in the NESCAC and and the Liberty League, and you look at what's happening at St. A's. Some of these teams are putting sixty shots up at a game. This is a different kind of lacrosse than when we were playing ten to eight slugfest back in my day. And so, trying to kind of adjust our our mindset so that we can generate good quality scoring opportunities while still holding true to some of our principles on defense. That's, that's kind of the sweet spot that we're trying to hit right now. And I mean, what we're doing at, at in lacrosse right now is for every purist who said it was overcoached for all these years, they better be soaking the because this is lacrosse played the way it's meant to be played right now. And it's, it's, it's hard as a coach sometimes to take that back seat and let your guys go to work. But also ultimately it's, it's what they seem to respond to the best and, and, where we find the most success. New England Lacrosse Journal's Chasing the Goal will return after this message. Dedication, skills, focus, and the drive to play at the highest level. Lacksachusetts is committed to providing the coaching and curriculum that will allow boys and girls to learn and grow as individuals and as teammates. With an emphasis on skill development and academic excellence, their players have led the country in college recruiting for the past 10 years. With over 800-plus players moving on to play in college and over 130-plus high school All-Americans, Lacksachusetts has been able to set the nationwide standard unmatched in the sport of lacrosse. To learn more, log on to laxachusetts.com. That's laxachusetts.com. 
Are you serious about playing your sport in college? Do you need a flexible education that allows you to maintain your practice and competition schedules while also preparing you to succeed at the next level? You should check out the University of Nebraska High School. UNHS is accredited and offers more than 100 online courses, including NCAA-approved courses to protect your academic eligibility. Students could earn a UNHS diploma or take a single course for transfer credit. Courses are college prep, self-paced, and available 24-7, 365. Enroll anytime and take up to a year to complete a course. Visit highschool.nebraska.edu today. Kyle, did I ever tell you that I played professional box lacrosse for the Boston Blazers back in the late 80s and early 90s? You know what, Jack? I don't think it's ever come up. Well, I did, and it totally transformed my game. And I only wish I had started playing box lacrosse early in my career. The fast pace of the game and the confined space of the box forced me to develop a new set of skills that made me a better field lacrosse player. This is why Piatelli Lacrosse is launching the Piatelli Stallions box lacrosse program, and we will be holding tryouts on November 13th for youth players and November 16th for high school players at Four Kicks in Marlboro, Mass. Starting this fall, players will participate in box lacrosse training sessions, scrimmages, and compete in box tournaments over the winter. Our coaching staff is comprised of box lacrosse legends like Bruce Janichuk, Peter Schmitz, Dave Desco, and John Piatelli who was just drafted by the Albany Firewolves of the National Lacrosse League. Of course, I will be there too. For more information of the Stallions Box Lacrosse Program, visit PiatelliLacrosse.com. Looking to keep up with all the latest news and information on New England lacrosse? New England Lacrosse Journal and LaxJournal.com are the premier resources for information and inspiration on the New England lacrosse scene. Have every issue of New England Lacrosse Journal, the magazine, delivered to your home or office. And don't forget to stay in the game every day with a digital subscription to laxjournal.com to receive daily digital lacrosse coverage on club lacrosse, college commits, prep and high school, division one, two, and three colleges, showcases, rankings, and much more. Get in the game and behind the scenes now by logging on to laxjournal.com. Just click on the subscribe button and start the subscription that is right for you today. New England Lacrosse Journal is a Siemens Media publication. Siemens Media. Inspiring. Informative. Insightful. Coach, you are a goalie as a player. What do you look for in a goaltender? What what skill sets does he need in order to have success at the college level like you did? Yeah, I mean, I, I think... Going back to what I just said, you're going to see a lot of rubber nowadays, right? So your ability to bounce back from getting sport on is huge, right? So when, when I'm out recruiting a goalie, I'm looking to see how he responds to a goal that's sport on because it's going to happen then. If these guys immediately point the figure at his defense or goal comes up or, or acting in a way that's maybe not in the best interests of the team, like that kid's probably not a great fit for me. There's some technical stuff we're, we're looking for at. I was... I was kind of brought up through the Trevor Tierney style of the flat arc. And I, I really like goalies that can play on that flat arc and sit back and take up goal and almost different than the way I was taught, which is to get way out up on the arc and, and be super explosive. Now it's more like stay back, stay deep, make a read, make a save. So, you know, that those are kind of what I'm looking for. And then almost more important than anything right now is clearing the ball. We have a team goal of, of being over 85%. And if we can't clear over 85%, we're going to have a hard time. And so last year, that was a struggle for us. And so this year we came in the fall. We have a, we have a three-way competition right now. 
And there's three, there's three aspects to being a goalie. There's ball stopping ability, there's clearing ability, and there's communication. And so those are kind of the three things when I, when I sit down and talk to my goalies about where they're at, those are the things we're talking about. And as we're sitting, it's funny because as we're, as we're sitting on this, one of my goalies just texted me and said, Hey coach, that low arc is really helping. Like, okay, cool. Like <laughs> you're listening. So that's, that's definitely, uh, that's definitely something I, I like to see as well as guys are coachable and, and willing to try some different style. Yeah, I actually prefer that style of goaltending when I'm kind of developing my guys as well. I think the higher level like club and stuff, they use a lot of a high arc. And to me, like I get why you do it. Like if you have a quick goalie that can come out and cut down an angle, like I understand that. But I feel like the big goalies, like it's just so much better to be flat arc and have your footwork right than it is to take that step and be already be out of position in case there's a rebound. You know what I mean? Like that, that's kind of the approach, right? Yeah. A hundred percent. And so, I mean, I'm dating myself a little bit with some of these goalies I'm about to talk about, but Matt Crossell at Navy was a goalie who played a super high arc. He was yeah. super athletic and he was really, really good at that. And truthfully, that's how I was taught to play as well. So I, I don't know how I stumbled probably a moment of vanity. I was watching like the 2003, some game that I was playing in and I was watching my arc just be so robotic from pipe or this, this five spot arc. And then I remember something we used to say was just get to six. So if someone was winding up rather than your five spot arc, you'd even take a half step further out to, to cut down angle like a hockey goalie. Might. And so when, when I got to the outlaws and I got to like, t- t- speaking of another, just mental, someone who's on a different plane of existence than, than most people is, is Trevor Tierney is, who coaches at Denver lead and played for Princeton and team USA and all this stuff. He completely changed the goaltending position for me. And he's so innovative around what our eyes see and, and giving ourselves an opportunity to make saves. And he had this philosophy that it's and, and so simple. It's like the longer I could see the ball the more opportunity I have to make a save on it. And so his whole philosophy, rather than, okay, go get to the pipe and take away the inside, his philosophy was stand directly in the middle of the goal and have the same stance to every single angle on the field. So we're getting rid of this five-step robot and we're, we're more turning into a fluid athlete back there who's standing in the middle and ready to react to anything rather than maybe baiting the kid to take a certain kind of shot. And that, that has been, for me, that was foundational and still is into how I coach goaltending. Right, well, like, you're a shooter. Like, isn't, I hate that. Like, I, I don't want to see a goalie in the middle of the cage. That's the worst. I want to see a little bit of, of corner. And, and again, when I, I teach goalies and I keep, teach shooters as well, mostly at Hopkinton, and one of the things I, I always tell them is don't shoot for a spot. Shoot to space. Like, don't shoot just because you think it's cool to go top corner. If the goalie's standing there with his stick out, he's going to save it. Like, even if you put, put it 90 and you're five feet away, he might save it just because that he knows you're going there, right? You always shoot for the space where the goalie isn't. And I don't know. I mean, what, I couldn't agree thoughts? more. You, yeah? you do. You, you definitely do. You, you want to, we teach you, shoot for the, the net. Yeah. <laughs> shoot for the net. Where do you see net? Right. Don't yeah. shoot it at the body's chest or I mean, how many kids today, they want to shoot it hard and it's short, stick high, stick high, 
stick high, stick high, stick high. Hide drives, to high, hide to high, high, high all day. To, you Ugh. know, it drives, it drives coaches absolutely nuts after you talk to these players about it's not so much bouncing the ball today. A, a great shot is waistline down, shoot at the feet. Above the, the waist is a little more difficult unless you're in tight. But most goal scorers today, great goal scorers, are shooting an overhand and their release is quick. They got to get it out really quick and they got to take a look, like you said, coach, you got you to take a look at the goal, right? The goalie's got to take a look at the ball. He's got to see the ball. The player's got to take a look at the goal. A lot of players don't take a look at the goal. They have to take a look at the goal before they shoot and they got to get the ball out of their stick as quick as possible. You, you're a goaltender. The best scorers probably, not only were they accurate, but they were able to get it out quick. It wasn't a matter of accuracy. It was, a, I mean, not, I mean, velocity. It was accuracy in the release. Accuracy release, and, and I would add deception as a, a major yeah. key on that. And again, I, I was fortunate enough to spend some time playing against some really, really great shooters. Brandon Mundorf being one of them, well, probably the best pure shooter I ever like saw in a, in a drill or in a game was was Matt Brown, who's, who's now the associate head coach at, at Denver. And he had this ability as a lefty. I'm not doing a great job demonstrating, but he, he would keep those hands flat through that shooting zone so low that he would just snap his wrist at the last second. And you would have to wait so long as a goalie. He was so skilled at keeping that stick hidden and being deceptive. And and obviously he was a huge part of like the Jamie Monroe 3D model when that first started and the twisters and the leaners. And then, so again, I was in Colorado as that stuff was forming and, and Coach Monroe's head and like that deception piece. I remember talking to some of his guys at the university in Denver where they were basically they don't practice shooting for power. They almost don't even practice shooting for accuracy. They practice shooting for deception. And that's such a that's such an important piece of it too, Coach. Hardest shot to save for you. Well, I I feel kind of fortunate that I'm not a goalie in today's world where every kid can shoot 95 miles an hour. It, this this is all different. This is a whole different life lifestyle. But I think there's a difference between shooting hard, shooting fast, and shooting well. Right. Yep. So that, I I played against some guys who shoot really really hard. Brian Lecture's a guy who shoots it hard, right? He, Roy Colsey type. They shoot the ball hard. Guys who shoot it fast, like Drew Westermelt, shoots it fast. That guy can sling it. I think the hardest thing for me is anything where I have to, as a goaltender, change which side of the net I'm on, go from side to side, and then make a read and, and make a play. Yeah. Right? So any type of moving before the shot release is probably going to be a good opportunity. I had a goalie once tell me, Coach, that playing goaltending today is very difficult. He said so many guys can shoot 95 miles an hour, but he said not only can they shoot 95 miles an hour, but they don't know where they're shooting the ball. So they, they're very dangerous because they, they're taking a shot and you're trying to hit the corner and they're hitting your head or hitting your chest or hitting your knee. or you know that, That's the problem with the guys shooting 95 miles an hour today is they don't know where, they, where it's going. 100%. I mean, I, I, I've taken some, some pretty good hits in my day. I mean, a big part of my goaltending was – was getting hit with the ball a bit and being in the right position. So I still wake up with those like fever dreams over once in a while. Like, oh, here comes some some shot is coming at me. And I, I wake up jolting and my wife's like, it's okay. You're not in that anymore. Talk to me about what is the best drill, best warm-up for a goaltender? Ooh. Yeah, so there's really only three or four drills that I really like to do. And, and the the number one thing we do is like set the cadence of the warm up to be to have a certain kind of rhythm to it, right? And I'm not someone who likes to like shoot the ball stick side high ten times and then off stick high ten times. I'm more about eye level, so it's like anything high as you travel across the arc. 
don't sit there. I'm getting a little bit past my prime in terms of warming up goalies now, but I hate seeing guys just stand eight yards in front of the goalie and, and shoot the ball at him. Travel around the arc, make him turn his body, make him stay in the middle of the goal, get that good warm up. Everything eye level, high to high, everything hips level, <laughs> and then everything out of your feet, everything bounces, and then we'll move in and do some inside stuff. And then we'll take some shots and get really competitive with it. But I'm, I'm like becoming more and more of a believer, I guess what they would call an open environment teaching, right? And there's no better way to get good at goaltending than, than seeing a lot of shots. And I, I think back to my college days, a nice fall day, I'd go out with six, seven friends and I would just, I would, there'd be one ball and the only rule is they, they couldn't, they had to take real shots, right? And so I would just, I would, I would sit there and take him up the half shot, pass it back to him and go two passes. And then he would take his like down the alley shot. And I, I'd give it back to him. And then he'd hit a cutter and we were just like, just ripping off of it, just like enjoying the game of lacrosse. And I know that's, that's a little bit of a cop out to you coach in terms of the exact favorite drill, but that's the best thing you can do is go out there with, with four or five guys, bucket of balls, make sure they're using one ball. Like if they score on you, I scoop that ball out. You don't get a new ball and you miss. All right, go pick up a new ball. That's our ball now. But their job is to pass the ball around and, and like try to give me some realistic looks. My job is to make as many saves as I can. And I, I was really fortunate in college to have a kid. My my best friend and roommate, his name is Jared Katz, who he actually played on the team Israel for a long time. Um, he would just like run routes. So I'd make a save and I'd look up and he's running like a post route and I I'd throw it to him. Like a, to like Alex like Alex Smith, the football quarterback. You'd hit him that on the you hit you hit him on the down and out. <laughs> Couldn't help <laughs> yourself. There's not there's nothing better than Again, it comes back to JPL, love lacrosse. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. What are your thoughts on tennis balls and using tennis balls to work? Yeah, and what kind of drills do you use? Do you, do you have the goaltenders not use their stick and little hand, hand-eye coordination where you're, they're catching the ball with their hands? Do you believe in that kind of? Yeah, I think at the college level, we do some of that. Certainly at the more youth and, and developmental level, we, we do some of that just to like watch the ball hit your hands and, and some of that stuff. We use tennis balls for almost all of our live shooting right now. We did a drill yesterday. We have the tight approach one-on-ones that we do from six different spots. And I usually hate doing one-on-ones because there's so much standing around, but we've, we've kind of constructed this drill to be like really, really fast, high rep, tight approach one-on-ones. And I have them use tennis balls because I blow the whistle, one group goes. The second that guy's in his move, I'm blowing the whistle and the next guy goes and the next guy goes. So the goaltender's in there. He, he might be looking at one dodger and the defender try to make a save. And then he's got to pivot, find the next ball again and make the next save. I don't need him getting hit in the, in the chest with a real lacrosse ball in that drill. So tennis balls are great for that drill. Live volume shooting where we pretty much use tennis balls just to, I don't need broken hits. I don't need guys breaking their thumbs and stuff like that. So for us, if if, if we're going live shots at, at a high volume, we're almost exclusively using tennis balls. I actually broke my goalie's hand in a warm-up before a game when I was coaching at Daniel Webster. It was his last game. It actually wasn't my last game. But it was his yeah. last game of the season. And I, he's like, coach, throw me one lefty. And I don't have any control of my left hand, but I actually have some, some power still, believe it or not. And I shot it, hit him square in the carpool. He goes, you just broke my hand. And I was like, oh, oh no, it's the worst. I'll never do it again. Oh, you're one of those guys that shoots the ball 95 hard. miles an hour hard. And you hard. don't know where it's going. Sometimes. And you broke the goalie's thumb. Sometimes. Disappointed to hear that. Disappointed. I, this was a while ago. I, I would I never You were do young this. and immature. You, yes. You, you were trying yes. to show off your shot. I was. You were trying to prove that you had a left hand when you really didn't. Correct. 
Yes. Listen, you're, nothing you're saying is wrong. It's interesting we talk about tennis balls, though. And I, we at, at Hopkinton, we, we do tennis balls until we go outside. So everything is tennis balls, and, and it's not because we can't use balls in the gym or, or anywhere else we're practicing. We can, but we use tennis balls because we want touches with a ball. Get your hands as soft as possible before we get outside. Increase the distance. The thing about tennis balls that's interesting when you're shooting, too, is that you can curve a tennis ball when you're shooting, and the goalies hate it. But it does make them better because they have to learn to track the head of the stick, too especially when you're developing a goal. I think it's a very valuable tool as well as when you're, when you're playing offense to have the hand soft enough to catch and, and get out. And especially doing quick stick drills, it's like, I wish more coaches did it. It's, it's so helpful. It, it develops kids so fast, even at the college level. It, it's just such a useful tool. Well, I, I think back even a step further, hearing from, from guys who used to, to play at the University of Denver practices when Coach Monroe was there, he'd, he'd break out. 30 women's sticks and say, we're practicing with women's sticks today. Oh, yeah. I love that kind of stuff. I, I think we rely too much on the, on our, on our pocket technology and our stickhead technology right now. And you see these kids who they can make a great Instagram shot, right? Like they can take an awesome low to hide and pin one. But can you make a, a pass under pressure when someone slides into your face and you need to get the ball to X in, in one cradle? You know, that that's a, I feel like so much youth lacrosse coaching. We can do so much for these kids by taking their sticks away and making sure that they're strung correctly. Coach, last question. You are part of a very unique fraternity of head coaches that are goalies. John, and most of them have been on here. John Tillman at Maryland. Guy Van Arzell at Kobe. Steve Kadelka at Lynchburg. And I've talked to them and we've asked them this question. How hard is it for you and what are the difficulties for you because you're a goalie and it's such a different position from 90% of your roster to coach the other positions and how much of that has been part of your development as a head coach and, and how many things have you learned to get you to the level where you're super comfortable coaching all the positions? Yeah, that, I think that's a great question. Face-offs being chief among them, right? Face-off is like this whole different rabbit hole. It's like a whole different textbook it's not even the same you have to know so many different pieces of that and so last winter I, we had some guys that were helping with face-offs and i was like all right i'm gonna dig into this and really i'll take my face-off class and i'll watch my youtubes and i'll and i'll learn and i think i still couldn't do a plunder to to save my kids lives but i can hopefully teach you how to do one right and so i think i've been really fortunate to be around some really great coaches who have who have given me given me that that scaffolding to build my coaching philosophies off of. And especially with, when, when you're with so many great players who also get into the coaching game, which is what professional lacrosse mostly is, right? It's guys who are also coaching. You get to pick their brands and like, how do you teach this? Or, or where do you teach this? And then you get, you kind of get, um, you might coach something a certain kind of way. And we might call this like, all right, you're carrying the ball. You got to bounce away to feed. And then you hear another, the best player in the world, Brandon Mundorf might say, yeah, you got to climb the staircase. It's like, oh, I'm saying that, but I'm not saying that. And so we're actually saying the same thing here. So it, it kind of, it kind of, I'm like, it not justifies that's not the right word, but it, it, it gives some credence to what you're saying. And what I've been around the game a long time. It feels like I, I know what the game should look like. I may not be able to teach you exactly how to, how to break down a long pole, but we could, we could sit down and, and like 
work on that together. I, I don't have many concerns over over that piece of it. So I don't know. Goal, goal. It's, it's funny. I actually probably coach my goalies the least amount positionally of any other position because I try to stay out of their way and, and I try to give them some tools and I try to try to. It's like adjusting someone's golf swing, right? I'm not going to go and 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 change 15 parts of my golf swing. I'll, I'm going to focus on keeping my left arm straight and on this round or whatever. And so that that's a big piece of how I kind of coach that position. So that gives me ton of time to work with the long holes or work with the attackmen or work with the middies on, on those other pieces that can help us be the best team we can be. They say the co- the goaltenders are the uh, smartest players on the field because they have the best seat in the stadium. They get to watch the whole game while they're in the goal and see the offense run, defense run, where the slides are coming from, and, and so on and so forth. So I couldn't agree more. But, Coach... Uh, we gotta, we gotta stop. Unfortunately, it's been forty-five minutes, and uh, you've been a great guest. Yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed it, fellas. Yeah, we'll have to have you back on, and I'll definitely be giving you a call. Hopefully, send you some Hopkinton boys and see what they can do up in the Great White North. There, it's fun. All right. I, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for everything you're doing. Appreciate it. Thanks very much for your time. All right. Thanks again for listening to New England Lacrosse Journal's Chasing the Gold podcast. For Jack Piatelli, I'm Kyle Devitt. See you next time. You've been listening to New England Lacrosse Journal's Chasing the Goal podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Also listen to the podcast on the website, laxjournal.com. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at NELaxJournal, Instagram at New England Lacrosse Journal, Lax Journal on Facebook, and our email address, chasingthegoal at laxjournal.com. Join us again next time as we go chasing the goal. Chasing the goal, a Siemens Media Podcast.